Special service is uh, the 9:30 service. This one right here, we're going to have a baptism, um, and we're excited to have baptisms next Sunday. We want to encourage people to serve somewhere. Lots of opportunities here at Grace. We need people for the connecting team, ushers, greeters, parking ministry. Um, we'd love to have everybody getting that opportunity to serve. Finally, there's a sermon application questions and things online. Uh, so connect with our, our website at graceorange.org. If you guys would please stand with us. We're going to read from Psalm 23 this morning. Psalm 23, a psalm by David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We praise you. God, as David came to you, seeing you as his shepherd, the one who can guide, protect, and provide, we thank you that this morning we sit underneath your word where we'll hear of your provision. God, we can have your spirit with whom we know the promise is sure that we can then walk in your protection. God, we thank you so much. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. 
from Ecclesiastes 5, verses 13 to 17 this morning. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. 
This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. You may take a seat. You may see. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, you are our creator and savior. We come before you today and the heavens declare your glory. God, the earth is filled with your glory. We want to join with creation in magnifying your great name, Father. We want to proclaim that your son, he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise and that you're one with the spirit, Father. We cannot comprehend all of your ways, but are grateful that you have chosen to reveal to us in your word who you are. God, we confess that we're not worthy as you are. God, we're not holy as you are. We're not just as you are. We don't love like you do. We're proud and our desires are, are for our own glory. We're in need of the forgiveness found through faith in Christ. And we thank you for his perfect life lived without sin, his unjust death and suffering on our behalf and his glorious resurrection that is a testimony that we, by faith in his name, will one day be resurrected along with him. Thank you for Christ's sacrifice. Thank you that we have been given his righteousness, that we are called children of God, that you would give us your spirit and have begun to transform us from those caught in darkness to now children of light. Thank you for the work that you put before us to both provide for our needs and that, that we would be allowed to bring you glory. Thank you for breath which we, with which we can praise you. Thank you for hope that surpasses all fear and even in the dark valleys of life. God, we pray for the persecuted church this morning. We pray for those in places where they suffer for proclaiming your name. God, we pray for even Jenna our missionary today, who we want to highlight, God. We want to we pray for her that you would open up doors even as she's in a, a Muslim country, God, where there's restrictions. God, allow for her to be blessed. God, allow for there to be a harvest even in dark places. God, allow for those who are suffering for your name. God, allow them to have your peace this morning, your peace that surpasses. God, we thank you. We thank you that... that, that that we have freedoms. God, allow us not to take those for granted. Allow us to allow our hearts not to be distracted by comforts and pleasures and ease, but allow them to be drawn to you. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Let us receive your word this morning. God, bless Pastor Mike as he preaches. God, thank you again for your inspired, inerrant, infallible word that we can put our confidence in. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Lord Jesus, we praise you right now as the one who is more beautiful, more glorious, more wonderful than anything or anyone else. And we thank you this morning for the chance to be in your presence as your people, under your word, singing together, praying together. Lord, we just, we've given, we've been given so many gifts in Christ, and we thank you for the chance to be together this morning. Lord, we pray that he would get glory among us, and we pray it all, Lord, in your name. Amen. On March 1st, 2020, day after the first coronavirus death was reported in the United States, brothers Matt and Noah Colvin set out in their silver SUV to go pick up some hand sanitizer. They drove around Chattanooga, Tennessee. They hit the Walmart, Dollar Store, Staples, Home Depot, and they cleaned out all the shelves. They bought all the hand sanitizer. Over the next three days, Noah took a 1,300-mile road trip across Tennessee and Kentucky, and he filled his U-Haul with thousands of containers of hand sanitizer and antibacterial wipes. Matt stayed home, waiting for pallets of hand sanitizer to come in. They had ordered them. And he was the one that started listing them online. First post, 300 bottles of hand sanitizer. They sold them for $8 to $70 a piece. So here we have a moment where millions of people are searching for hand sanitizer, and they sat on over 17,000 bottles. Bought it at a fair price, sold it at an unfair price. In fact, they were ordered by two attorneys general to stop price gouging, to stop hoarding and reselling during a pandemic. These in-demand products. But what did they do? They hoarded for personal gain. They profited from a pandemic. They price gouged. So that's an extreme example. It gets our attention. But how easy is it for us to hoard on a daily basis. You know the hoarder's TV show where uh, they are so overwhelmed with their possessions, there is a pathway through the house because they are so overwhelmed by their stuff, but they're also so unhealthily attached to their things. There's another extreme example. But how about someone who is fixated on getting as much money as they can on getting as many possessions as they can, maybe even getting as many as friendships as they can, or they collect their opinions and their, their, um, their stances in life, and they collect them and protect them very selfishly. It is very easy to be a hoarder and not have 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer. It is wise to shepherd what God grants you and allows you to have. Uh, It is wise to be a good stewards, but it is warped when you take it too far. And today, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 13 through 17, we see the foolishness of hoarding, and Solomon is addressing the person who takes it too far. He addresses the person who selfishly hoards for personal gain and in the process loses their riches. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 6, verse 9 is all about greed and contentment. Last week we saw in verses 10 through 12 the love that ruins, dangerous delight and desire for wealth which creates cravings that cannot satisfy which causes a lot of worry and anxiety and just complicates your life. What we saw is that the love of money can infect rich and poor alike. It's not how much you have. It is how much you desire it. You know, if you see something 
harmful about to happen, if you see a injustice of some sort or a crime being committed, you are morally obligated to speak up and say something. And here, Solomon, the great observer of life, sees something and speaks up. And he hits the nail on the head. He exposes the inherent foolishness of hoarding. And I see four reasons why it's so bad in this passage. I want you to start with me at verse 13. We'll just go verse by verse. The first reason the hoarding is so bad is because it is selfish. Hoarding is selfish. It is ruinous. And, and Solomon now tells the story of a person who loved wealth so much and gained it and then lost it. Selfish accumulation and then loss. Verse 13. Look at verse 13. It's a, he starts with this. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Grievous means afflicted. It means to be sick and, and weak and ill. And it, he's talking about something painful and sickening. It's a calamity. And he said, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. And here it is. Riches kept or hoarded by their owner to his hurt. So during his life, this man's wealth did him no good. Imagine the price that this man paid in moral degradation, in moral decadence, following ill-gotten gains. Imagine the price that he paid with his health and physical deterioration from sleepless nights. And Solomon calls it an evil. That's a word for misery, distress, to be injured. It, it's the idea of facing adversity because it's the consequence of your actions and your choices. It's a calamity. It's a disaster that you bring upon yourself. He says there's this evil that I've seen and it's someone who hoards riches. Now in verse 10, Solomon had used three separate words for money and wealth. He used the word for money, silver, currency. He used the word for wealth and abundance, the idea of this multitude. Literally, that word means multitude. There's a roar of a crowd because you have so much wealth. It's a crowd of wealth. And then he uses the word for income. The idea of a harvest, the idea of, of getting gain for what you've worked so hard for. But the word he uses here for riches, a new word. None of those three words. And the idea is, it's just the idea of becoming rich and amassing a fortune, amassing wealth. And the idea behind it is if you amass this wealth, it should benefit someone. But here's the man that amasses the whole wealth only for his own benefit alone. And so he says, this riches were hoarded. They were kept. It literally, that word kept is you keep guard over it like you're puppy guarding your stuff, right? And you're preserving it. You put a, a barbed wire fence around and say, no one's going to touch this because this is mine and no one gets to use it. So you, you instantly see how you could be a hoarder and not even have that much. It, it literally means to put a, a, a hedge of thorns like grow a hedge in front so that no one can get to your stuff. You're guarding it. You're watching it. And the owner here, the Lord of the stuff, is the bodyguard of the stuff. But he did it to his own hurt. That's the same word as evil. It's rash. It's misery. It's distress. It's injury. Proverbs tells us very clearly, look, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. One gives freely, it grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Why does this happen? Is it because of indwelling sin? It's because of our depravity. It's because we are sinful and selfish and subject to deception. And we start to think God's not going to provide, I need to do it myself. We have a, a low view of God's providence and sovereignty. And a high view 
of our own ability, and so we, we hoard, and it's selfish. That's the first thing you see in this passage, why it's so bad. There's a second reason. Move on to verse 14 with me. And it's simply this. Hoarding can backfire on you. It can backfire on you. What is hoarded can be lost. Sometimes when riches increase, especially if they're gained under dubious ethics, you can lose them. And so there's this unfortunate loss that Solomon speaks of. Verse 14, it says, those riches were lost in a bad venture. You made a bad investment. Okay, it happens sometimes, right? No guarantee. Riches can be suddenly lost for all sorts of reasons. Foolish gambling, a misguided venture, a reversal of fortune, or theft even. In 1 Kings 14, we read of Shishak, the king of Egypt, who took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he took away everything, and he took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. Proverbs tells us when your eyes look at wealth, it's gone. It literally sprouts wings like an eagle and flies away. It can be gone in an instant. But it gets worse. Look at the rest of verse 14. This man who is selfishly hoarding only for himself has a son. A son that he needs to take care of. A son that he needs to provide for. And it says here he is the father of a son but he has nothing in his hand. Nothing for the son. No provision for the son. The son is hindered by the father's selfishness. Nothing to support his family. No inheritance to give. Proverbs 11.29 tells us, whoever troubles his own household inherits the wind. The New Testament tells us that if someone does not provide for their own family, they're worse than an unbeliever. They've denied the faith. And we know that the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. But hoarding is selfish, and it can backfire on you. It's the second thing we see here. Why it's so bad. Why else is it bad? The third reason is that it's temporary. Hoarding is temporary. This whole life is temporary. Everyone's going to die. Why are you collecting so much? I love how Ecclesiastes is helping us grapple with life and with death and learn how to live in light of dying. But we have to realize we're not going to take anything with us. Look at verse 15. It says, as this man came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. He's going to die, not taking anything with him, and he's going to leave his family in the lurch. He's going to leave his family in need. I want you to notice, though, this says that he takes nothing with him that he can have in his hands. He doesn't say that there's absolutely nothing going with him. He says he can't take it in his hands because he's going to take his character. He's going to take his conscience with him. Job put it this way, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return. The Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's a God-centered perspective on life. The psalmist says, when, when the rich who have hoarded dies, he's carrying nothing away. You're not, putting, you're not bringing anything in your hands with you. Your glory's not going to follow you. 1 Timothy 6, 7 reflects the exact same idea. We brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of it either. It's an overused example, but you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You don't see people, you know, stuffing things in their pockets and then dying and saying, yeah, um, I'll take this with me. You put something in the pocket of a dead person, it's six feet under or it's burned. And verse 16 tells us this is a grievous evil. This is not good. Just as he came, so shall he go. What gain is there? What advantage? What profit? You're going to die, so bless others before you do. I want you to notice in verse 16, there's two words. It's just, just as. It can be easily missed. But the Hebrew word for just as is emphatic 
and it, it can be translated quite exactly as, and the idea is what a baby has when the baby's born in their hand signifies what you're going to bring with you when you die. Nothing in your hand is what take, you take with you. So hoarding is just bad. It, it's selfish. It can backfire. It's temporary. And one more reason why it's bad, Look, we'll see it in verse 17. Hoarding can make your life miserable. It just makes your life miserable. You reject sound wisdom, and you stay in a prison of your own making, of your own design. Like you put yourself in that prison. You made the prison you're in. Look at verse 17 with me. All his days. There's a pervasiveness here. All his days, he eats in darkness. Now, this doesn't mean he didn't pay the bills and he couldn't buy candles. Uh, it doesn't mean that the electricity got shut off. Uh, eats in darkness is grief. It's, that's the idea. The, the phrase, eats in darkness, it's about grief. You're, he's grieved. He lives a life that is miserable. It's misery. All his days, he's miserable. Darkness equates to misery. And then this fixation on wealth gives him a gloomy life. And then Solomon uses three words, vexation and sickness and anger. It's all miserable. Vexation is all the cares and the frustrations that torment your mind and all hours of the day and night, you're not able to sleep or rest. And sickness points to the physical strain that this pursuit puts on you. And anger, literally wrath, is the idea of being enraged by your own ambitions. That you are angered at all the things that you are actually going after. This shows us. This shows us what mankind's depraved will costs him. Here's the cost. And it takes us all the way back to Genesis and the fall in Genesis 3.17 because God says, because you listened to the voice of your wife and ate of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you and in pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. There is a, there is a harsh mercy that phrase in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread the psalmist says in Psalm 78 he made their days vanish like a breath their years in terror and the psalmist says I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink Samuel says do not turn away after empty things they cannot profit they cannot deliver you they're empty Jesus says in Mark 8, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Jesus says in John 6, 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And now he's talking about eternal things that ought to be the object of our deepest affections. And he says, the Son of Man will give to you. In his sovereign goodness, in his providential orchestration of all things, but there are people, and it might be you today, only God knows the heart, but it, it might be you today, where you're asking of life more than it can give. That life and, and the, the wealth of life cannot satisfy your soul. It doesn't have the ability to do that. It's just going to make you miserable. I asked you last week, like, wouldn't more money make you happier? Wouldn't more possessions make you freer in life? Wouldn't it make you less irritable? The answer is no, really. Douglas Wilson put it this way, you have all your stuff and you can't sleep. You fret. You worry a whole lot. And then he says this, you worry a whole lot? You can be sure that your fine clothes are nothing but nice wrapping paper for ulcers. He says, fear God and reject the idiocy of greed that great choker of quiet wisdom. That's what greed is, uh, uh, the great choker of quiet wisdom. James put it this way, your, your riches have rotted. They're, they're moth-eaten. 
Your gold and silver corroded. They're going to be evidence against you. They're going to eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. So hoarding, this is simple stuff. It's selfish. They can backfire on you. It's temporary, and it makes your life miserable. It denies God's sufficiency. It's unrighteous. It, it puts depravity on display. You know what drives stockpiling? Unbelief. The idea that God can't meet my needs. But God is good, and God is all-knowing, and God is all-powerful, and He has a way of working these things out. This grievous evil of wealth hoarded, then lost. This is often how God providentially blesses and curses those who trust in their wealth. How can you be blessed if you're trusting in your wealth? When you repent of your trust in your wealth. Those who repent are blessed. Those who refuse and refuse Christ are cursed. I love the illustration of Zacchaeus in the New Testament. In Luke 19, he stands up and says to Jesus, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And then he says, If I have defrauded anyone, and that literally means since I've done it. I did it. I'm admitting it. I'm repenting. I'm changing my ways. If I've defrauded anyone, since I've defrauded people, I'm going to restore it fourfold. There's the person that's... uh, shaking loose and breaking free from the foolishness of of hoarding. This passage paints us a portrait of the foolishness of hoarding. But you know what it makes me want to do? Be generous. Like, this is easy stuff. It's like, oh, this is bad. This is bad for you. It's bad for your family. It's bad for your soul. Let's not do this. Let's trust God to help us not be that way. This is just, it all makes me want to focus on the wisdom of giving. The cure for selfish hoarding is generous giving. Let's talk about generous giving. Let's set our sights on that. This open-handed generosity way of living. Uh, This passage makes me want to be generous. Thomas Manton said, God gave us wealth, not that we should be hoarders, but dispensers. I like that word picture. Dispensers. We're not to be hoarders, but dispensers. You want to overcome a hoarder's mentality? Start dispensing things instead of building fences around your stuff. Turn your hoarding into helping others. Don't go for the hoard. Go for the reward of of well done, good and faithful servant. Just get really generous. Step outside yourself, step outside your desires, step outside of all your problems and all your worries and actively give to God and others in need. Let's think about it. Let's think about this generous giving. If if hoarding is selfish, then we should obviously give selflessly, right? Right? Can you let the people know that watching the live stream that there's someone in the tent with me, right? Thank you. I just want to make sure that they know I'm not alone under this tent. There's a boatload of people here with me. Hoarding is selfish, so you need to give selflessly. If you're God-centered, if you're God-centered, you're going to be generous with your stuff. James 4, verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Instead of that, you've got to plan ways to bless people. Engage, as as Titus 3.14 tells us, engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. There are many needs. You can be generous with your possessions. Share things. Uh, It's the my my things are your things mindset. All I have is a gift from God, and I want to be an open-handed steward of what God has given me and granted me. But it goes further than that. You've got to be generous with people, too. Beware the hoarding friend. Beware the possessive friend. You've got to share your friends. You've got to do this too. If you're going to be generous, you're going to need to save. You're not going to give it all away. You're going to save it to be generous at a later date. So you have something to give to your kids. To give an inheritance. To do philanthropy. To give planned giving. Because you're taking nothing with you. 
You gotta be generous with praise. You gotta be, you know, actually use good words with people. Or you can hoard it all to yourself. You, you can just praise God for his merciful patience in your life that he has granted you to come this far and he's given you boundless grace and he's leading you through this life and you, and you want to repent of foolish hoarding of anything and just see the blessedness of giving. Right? That's what I want to do. It's selfish to hoard, so I want to give selflessly. Now, if hoarding can backfire on you, you've got to give wisely. Now, there's no guarantees. I mean, anything can, uh, can go a certain way. Only God knows. But whatever you have, you want to shepherd it wisely. And I want to live with the idea that every dollar counts, not in a way like they're all for me, but that use whatever God has given in God's service, not self-service, because all I have belongs to Christ. And so in my spending, in my saving, in my giving, and even in my resting after that, I want to be a steward of the money that God entrusts to me, to use it to further the gospel and not waste it. And by the way, if you're making a good living, there's nothing wrong with making a good living. But don't let that become your idolatry, your false god. Don't let the hoarding push out worshiping Jesus Christ and living for Jesus and the gospel. You're paying for things. You're buying things. You're giving things. My rule is don't pay too little, don't pay too much. I'm going to get a good deal. I want to get a fair deal, but I want everyone to be happy. You know, Proverbs 21, 26 says, the, the hoarder, all day long, he craves and craves. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. I think there's a fine line uh, between wisdom and the love of money because the choices that wisdom makes and the choices that the love of money makes actually can look similar. can look the same, like you're doing the same things and you're accumulating you're saving you're investing but your motives can be drastically different for doing that one person can do it all for themselves and others could be really wise planning for retirement or to give and they're doing the same actions but one can do it from greed another can do it for gener out of generosity i mean think about it the poor can look at the rich and say they're hoarders you, they could judge them. They're hoarders, and they love money. And they could be absolutely wrong about them. They might be wise. They might be taking care of other people. They might be giving generously. And they might be living far below their means. Everyone who selfishly hoards is going to lose. By the way, you're going to lose. It's just a matter of time. You'll lose it in this life, or you'll lose it in death. You've got to live for the king and his kingdom. Like, don't ask the question, what's best for me? That's the hoarder's mentality. Ask, what would best serve Christ's kingdom? It can backfire on you. You've got to give wisely. Now, if it's temporary, as we know it is, you need to give freely. You can't take it with you. You give while you live or give in death. Uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. So look at a couple verses there. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And look with me first at verses 6 and 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and we will take nothing out of it either. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. And then let your eyes drop down to verses 17 and 18. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or arrogant, nor set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You see a need? Meet the need. Uh, there are many examples uh, we can give of generous giving. I just think of Grace Church of Orange. And I think of even the property we're, we're on right now. I think of all the people that have given sacrificially to have what we have here. I think of a project we started several years ago, some of you don't even know about it, where we were going to um, refresh the MPR, the multi-purpose room, which we did. And then we have a multi-use covered building that's gonna be a little bit bigger than this, right over here, where we've been navigating a lot of things with the city. We have some exciting news to give you soon, hopefully. But, um, and, and we were gonna refresh the worship center. But the thing is, 
uh, those of you who know about it are continuing to faithfully give to it. Thank you. Because it's set aside for doing that project. I think of our leadership team. I put this in the email this week that many of you get, but I think about our elders, I think about our, our staff and our deacons and our deaconesses, and they're pouring their lives out sacrificially, unselfishly, for the lives of others, and they want to serve Christ and serve his purposes, and I, I can't think of a better leadership team with which to serve. I think about the idea of, of whenever you're able to, to give without shining the spotlight on yourself, but really to glorify God and shine the spotlight on Jesus, that you can actually say, thank you, Lord. Like, I can give something and say, I'm giving this in the name of Jesus. And I give because of what Christ gave me. You can do this. And you give because Jesus gave you everything. If you're a Christian, you have everything. Now, hoarding is temporary. That's why we have to give freely. Now, hoarding makes your life miserable. So why not give joyfully? I think joy is the opposite of misery. So why not not create misery for yourself and for your household and those closest to you and listen to wise counsel? Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll look at a couple verses there. 2 Corinthians 9, and I'll just start reading at verse 6. We'll just read three verses. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That idea of, of deciding, it's the idea of purposing. And to do it cheerfully has as its, has its foundation graciousness and mercy. And as you give the first fruits back to God on a regular basis, as you give whatever you can to those in need, as you give of your time and your talents and your treasure and, and, and give to the needs of others. And it really is, I think, when you look at a passage like this and it's so practical, it's like, how can I uncomplicate my life? How can I simplify my life? How can I offload? How can I downsize? And how can I give things up now before I have to? Hoarding is selfish. We have to give selflessly. Hoarding can backfire on you. You've got to give wisely. It's temporary, so you have to give freely, and it makes life miserable, so give joyfully. So you go back to the idea of those two brothers hoarding the, um, the hand sanitizer. During the, the height of the COVID-19 pandemonium, you're people scrambling for the basics, right? They're scrambling for the basics. And these two men hoarded hand sanitizer. They price gouged. Well, there's a good punchline on this one. They ended up donating all 17,700 bottles of hand sanitizer uh, to their church and other charities. Now, I'm guessing that they had more joy and less misery in, in that action. And, and by the way, whenever you uh, don't have two attorneys general after you, it's always a good day, right? I mean, they're great, but like, you don't want them like, telling you to cease and desist, right? But they donated it all, so it's great. End of the day, hopefully a net positive. But instead of hoarding, get generous. Generous giving versus selfish hoarding. Where you don't, exalt yourself. You, you say, hey, in Christ, I've been raised to new life. I'm born again. I'm regenerated by the Spirit of God. I've been made right with God, been justified. So therefore, I want to display the glorious gospel to a watching world, to a broken world. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, and Paul quoted him in Acts 20, verse 35, said this, only time in the Bible you see this verse, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20, 35. A Christian doesn't want to hoard. Hoarding reflects Satan and evil. The thief that comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus came to 
to give us life and that abundantly to the full and more than enough. And he came to give us his life. When you hoard, you, re, you reflect disbelief. Your mindset is a God doesn't provide, so I have to do it. But selfish hoarding is, is quite simply foolishness. Generous giving is righteous. Selfish hoarding obscures the gospel. Generous giving magnifies Christ. When you give, you reflect the character of God who, who, who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You reflect Christ when you give. You adorn the gospel when you give. You put the glorious gospel truth on display. This is God provides and God saves and God is enough and God satisfies my soul and he does so out of his good pleasure. Now something happened just actually two weeks ago that was 38 years in the making. Planned for 38 years and secretly was going on for 38 years Irish-American billionaire Chuck Feeney reached his life goal of giving away his entire $8 billion fortune. It's all gone. It's all been given. He made that fortune uh, co-founding the retail giant duty-free shoppers in 1960. They made a boatload of money and gave it all away. For decades, he's been making secret donations to universities and charities and institutions around the world via his foundation. But the week of September 19th, 2020, the foundation, which was set up in 1982, the year I got saved, actually, officially ran out of money on purpose. They signed the papers. It's, it's done. It's over. And Feeney is 89 years old. He's in poor health. And here's what he says. I am very satisfied. And he says to those wondering about giving while living, try it, you'll like it. He told Forbes in 2012 that he had set aside $2 million for his retirement, but he said at the same time he was hoping to lose it all before the end of his life. He's a very private person. He's known for having lived a very frugal lifestyle. He doesn't own a car. He doesn't own a home. He owns one pair of shoes, which a lot of you are like, that's not possible. Some of you might have shoes in a bag just in case you need another pair of shoes. He lives in a small rented apartment in San Francisco with his wife. And you're thinking about Feeney right now. And you're like, well, that's unfathomable. He gave away eight, what was it? How much? It had a B in front of it, right, eight billion dollars. Here's the problem. He gave millions to some very unbiblical, anti-God organizations. And what it makes me think, and it makes me question myself, is am I willing to do at a far lower level, am I willing to do for gospel truth what others are more than willing to do for pagan lies? You will hoard to your own ruin and the hindrance of your soul. You will bring misery to you and to your loved ones unless you give selflessly and wisely and joyfully and freely. And, and I think for me, the bottom line is give like crazy to the cause of Christ with a cheerful heart, thankful that God in his good grace in Christ has lavished his mercy and grace upon you. Give not to be seen, but to display the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that we even have the opportunity to be alive today and to give you everything because you have given everything to us. Lord, we, we want to echo uh, what Christ said, freely you have received, freely give. We want to freely give because we have so freely received from you. Thank you, Lord, that you spared not your own son, but gave him up for us all. And how will you not also with him 
graciously give us all things that might please you. Let me pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing one final song? Good to be together. Uh, remember, we have a membership class, Membership Matters, uh, this Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m. right here at church. Uh, we have Men of the Word starting on Friday morning. We're having coffee, bur uh, breakfast burritos, and the Bible, most importantly, the Bible. Uh, we have baptisms next Sunday for believers, believers' baptism. If you're a, a believer and you haven't been baptized, come get baptized on the 4th. And then serve somewhere. Find a place to serve. Thank you for uh, so many that have... Uh, just flooded uh, the uh, opportunities to serve. We have so many new leaders helping in a lot of different areas, uh, but we always need more. 
And then make sure you have some time of fellowship today after you leave the tent. Uh, go ahead and uh, when you exit, you're going to go towards the playground. And just uh, don't leave right away, okay? Fellowship with each other, get caught up, pray together, stuff like that, all right? And let's uh, close with Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Lord, we thank you for salvation in Christ. I pray, Lord, that anyone who hears these words would believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved, believe his finished work and his shed blood and come to you for forgiveness and joy. And Lord, I pray that every believer, would, we would live a, a generous life reflecting your gospel truth. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.